Uh, I think someone came out with research that the foot dissipates about 30% of the energy that's coming into the body so you can actually deal with it. But if you've got a foot that's not working properly or even jam someone into two smaller shoes, that extra energy goes up and down the chain and somewhere it's going to push something out of place where it has to absorb more. So it could be in the hip, but if something happens fast and you got to protect that hip, that knee's going to go or the ankle's going to go. If you've got a, a, a 100 meter runner and he's world class and you have, and, and now I have a, I have a TMG machine that, that analyzes stiffness qualities of the muscle. So if you if you consistently do deep squats, I know that the the pliability or the uh, stiffness of that quad tendon becomes less because you're stretching it so much with the super deep squats. And then when you run down the track, guess what? You've just altered a ton of free energy return. That is a quick and explosive contraction that was just a quick peek into what chris corfist and cal deeds have been up to in their own coaching training and researching recently you're listening to the just fly performance podcast today's episode is brought to you by simply faster Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches, training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 129 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today, and we have got a one-two punch, if there ever was one, in Chris Corfist and Cal Dietz. Uh, Cal Dietz is the head Olympic strength coach at University of Minnesota, the author of Triphasic Training, and Chris Corfist is a well-known speed and track coach and consultant. Right now, he is a track and field coach at Montini High. He also helps put together the track and football consortium. Uh, together, they also have brought the RPR system into the United States and beyond. And so these guys are up to some big things. If you've been listening to this show for some time, or even if you haven't, I'm sure you've heard of Cal and Chris. They've been on they've been on my uh, podcast a number of times. Every episode has just been awesome. Many of the most highest downloaded, highest viewed episodes. And I always enjoy seeing what they're up to. Um, not only from, I mean, really just from a strength perspective and what Cal's doing and a speed perspective of what Chris is doing, 
you talk to these guys and you know they're always on the cutting edge, always researching, learning new things, experimenting, finding new things, and it's always a pleasure to chat. Uh, for the topic of the show today, I actually wanted to throw it back a few years to the um, Triphasic Training Football Manual, which Chris and Cal put out together. And if you haven't, if you don't have the book, go get it. It's awesome. It's it's like triphasic training. It's just kind of specialized for football, but really it could be any speed and power sport. And the theme of the book is it's all French contrast, basically, and which is awesome. And in a sense of like, usually we think of French contrast as like the peaking phase, but this this program utilized it the whole way through, um, and it got killer results. I mean, seriously, like these football players were jumping like five to seven inches higher or more. They were running way faster. And uh, ever since I read that book, they became the basis of a lot of my programs, not only in just like a track and field based uh, situation, but even even swimming, even, um, you know, other team sports. It's it is a very versatile system. And so uh, I just wanted to dig in today to basically the makings of that and how French contrast can be used, not just in peaking, but in all situations. Uh, also, Cal's going to get into oscillatory reps and the power of those, again, not just in peaking situations, but in all situations. One of the areas as well that Chris and Cal have really been digging into is the importance of the foot in athletic performance training. Uh, the show just prior was Dr. Emily Splickle talking about the different ways the foot picks up sensation. Uh, today, Chris and Cal are talking about, again, the critical, just the importance of looking at the foot and how they go about looking at, at it, assessing it, and training it as well as the importance of elastic contribution to movement in athletes, as well as some anecdotes with animals. Uh, we're also finally going to get into a little bit about the use of the Exigen suit and what is going on with that piece of equipment. If you've been um, into what any of Stefan Jones is doing prior podcast guests, he gets awesome technical results with this piece of technology. Uh, and then Chris and Cal are going to go a little bit in. Uh, Chris specifically on how he is using that in sprint special strength training. So, uh, really cool episode. Anytime you get these two guys together in the same uh, on the same microphone or same room or or anything of that regards, you know it's just magic. And this was a fantastic episode. I was not only thoroughly entertained by these two guys, but also I learned a ton, and I know you will as well. One last one last quick thing as well before we start the show. Um, my new book, Speed Strength, will be shipped out December twenty first. This pre sales going on as we speak. It's already gotten great reviews, and I think it's a really good work if you're interested in getting faster and every single thing that goes into getting faster through the lens of, of myself and the many podcast guests that have been on this show. So just wanted to mention that. Anyways, without further ado, let's get on to this episode with Chris Corfist and Cal Dietz. Um, Cal, what's the, um, what's the long-term athletic development plan for your son looking like? Is he on triphasic like junior? Like... What's uh Yeah, you know what? I mean, shoot. I, I do like I do a variation of everything. My new speed stuff that um is is a lot of bands. I I'll send you an email. Um I like that speed stuff, man, because in this young age, uh he's fortunate that he's already strong, so I, I don't you know, I don't have to worry about making him strong getting fast. Um but yeah, just high quality training at this age, right? Everything just that it's that signal from the brain to, to go as hard as you fucking can, as fast as you can. Yeah. That's what I'm finding too. And, and you you're just like, it's like, I can get a, somebody in shape. Hell, I, I know enough now through supplements, I can offset somebody being out of shape and give them, you know, heartbeats that are 10, 15 beats lighter on the same cardio workout than the day before. But you're like, 
it's that speed that you can't give them anything for, you know? Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's interesting to work with like like young athletes like like nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and you it's like when do they get that point where they learn submaximal, you know, like when they learn tempo like before that it's just everything is as hard as possible to go, you know, and they and they have that that's like wired in. Uh, you know, and, and everyone wants to talk about various methods on this and I think when he was eight, I literally every day this summer ran six or eight max effort sprints with him. And when I say that, I'm not talking sprinting. I'm talking I would throw the footballs farther than he could catch it, and he would try to run underneath it, and then we'd wait two minutes and do it again, and we'd run up hills. We did all these variations of that. And he all, all that happened was he got a lot faster, right? I did max effort every day of the summer. Like, you can't burn out a young kid's nervous system, you know, well, doing max effort stuff. Well, that's like when you put the the Omega wave on him after he ran for yeah. 20 hours. Yeah. He was gone. He did three practices. He, he didn't eat lunch. He, I, I went to Omega wave him, Joel, after a long day of, I mean, he did his mom's camp. He swam all day. He did two skating sessions. He ran home. I was going to mega wave him. We were going to eat at like seven o'clock. Omega wave him. And it was so bad. It was unbelievable. Right. I mean, we're talking, my advanced athletes would take days to recover. And, uh, he fell asleep before dinner. So he didn't eat lunch, didn't eat dinner, went to bed, woke up the next morning. I omega waved him. He was rock solid, ready to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the theory would be that their, their aerobic system, the kids are built sur for survival more than like males would per se. So uh, I think in the young age, it appears that they would be more like females, kids. So the organism survives. Um, Females are built for more survival with aerobic base and that. And I think kids have more of aerobic base when they're young and active. So uh, I think that was the reason for it. Plus, let's be honest, he has no stressors, right? He doesn't have to pay bills. He doesn't have a girlfriend. You know what I mean? Um, Not that you know, know of. Right. Well, this was when he was <laughs> eight, I think, or nine. And He's working saying, it back then. Yeah, well, I doubt it. But he doesn't. He still doesn't like them that much. To be honest, and he said that they're weird still. So I was like, all right. So, but you see what I'm saying? Like they, they kids don't have all those stressors, so I think that's why they can recover more. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I completely. Yeah, when you know, fun... my, son, my son's bad day is the Wi-Fi goes down. <laughs> you guys ever I seen the Louis C.K. on that? What's that? You guys ever seen the Louis C.K. on that? Like, like the first world problems, basically, like. Like, you know, oh, the Wi-Fi is down. This sucks. Like, but then it's like, yeah, you, it's think of, slow. <laughs> you think of it like it, look, it has to go to space and back. It's a miracle. You're a part of a miracle every day in this. And, you know, like, that whole vibe. <laughs> Just remind yourself. <laughs> so, yeah, it's all perspective, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I t uh, Hank brought this one up. He was like, Cal, look at the people drive across your campus, you know, the, the students or the the staff on those buses, you're like, they look like they're going to a funeral. Everybody does, you know, and then you see a busload of like third graders roll by and they're jumping around <laughs> having, you know what I mean? That's why they can just keep going and recover because their perception of life, there's no pressure. It's just rolling, you know? Yeah. yeah. In most cases. Uh, hey, maybe let's, uh, let's uh, talk a few training questions here. And sure. so one of the reasons, um, I really wanted to get you guys together here. Well, outside from just just being able to chat and and uh, talk again a little bit, was uh, triphasic training for football. I, I think 
I don't know how popular it is compared to the actual triphasic training book, but I feel like it's one of the, the best books um, in terms of implementation that I've utilized and then clearly the results that came from it. And uh, But how um, what was the process of creating that? Like I know, you know, Chris, your track guy, Cal, strength and conditioning. How do those worlds merge and uh, how did you guys craft that together? Well, it kind of started around RPR where we met at a Douglas Heel thing. And we kind of hit it off there. And, you know, I had already read Triphasic, and I thought, I still think it's the best book that's out there on training. Um, and so we started talking, and then we started a dialogue and, you know, started talking about football because Cal, even though he's a hockey guy, he's really a football guy. I think people forget that, um, even though he wears his hockey shirts and he's got his hockey wife and his hockey kid. Um, and we, we just kind of built from there where we took best of both things and kind of merged it together and then because i have a i have a whole high school football team we said all right let's run it with these guys and see how it goes and we had some phenomenal results and we had i think uh, this is off a just jump matt because i know people call call me on this but we had i think we had was it 18 kids that were over 32 inches on vertical jump i had 230 238s yeah, I thought you had six over thirty-five or thirty-six, and two yeah. over thirty-eight, and 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 now look, in my yeah, I mean it was crazy because I'm like, wow, that you know, I was talking to Chris. He's like, I merged these things and some of the stuff I'm doing with our ankle rockers and and the, the Chris's um, the the process and the sequence that he went through to make those ankles functional, you know, and he sent me a video. And you hear these numbers and you're talking high school kids. Now, look, right, we know they're not college kids, 240-pound linebackers, but there's still how many people you know have six kids over 35 inches. But, but here's the catch. The hands were on the hips when they did the vertical jumps. So that's pretty legit. You know what I'm saying? That's that that's for real. And uh, it, it was crazy because, Joel, like this ankle's so I mean, Chris, what's the what's the research now saying? Thirty five percent of the the forces are transfer, you know, come from the ankle when you're more run. than that. Um, yeah, up to seventy. Well, but but like here's the thing, and I and I tell people this years ago uh, when I realized the ankle was important. I, I didn't know how to fix it like Chris did, but I had a guy that I was working with, Joel, and I I mean I made this kid more. His hips were stronger, more explosive. He could jump higher, but his 10 and 20 was was got slower because I made his hip and knee so much stronger and explosive. What what I caught though on video was that when his on his first step, when his when his foot hit the ground on that first step, that heel collapsed and it went backwards like two or two inches. To, it might have been two, maybe more, but you're like, there's the leak in the energy chain. So all that, all the work I'd done with his knees and and hips to make him stronger, it leaked out at the ankle because his calves and foot were not strong enough to hold it. And I knew it was important, but go ahead, Chris. And the thing when you squish that heel and that heel drops down, when you go to push and you drive and there's nothing there and it, and it drops the ground, your shin pops straight up and down. So now all of your force is in more of a vertical vector than a horizontal vector 
And so that's kind of what Cal and I are in the next stage now is, we, okay, we've got ankle rock. We figured out how this works, but now we have to really make those ankles really hold well in a horizontal fashion. Um, and that's kind of what we've been working on in this recently. In, actually, about the last year, we've been working on this together. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Cool. Hey, I, well, I want to I want to get into ankles before I forget though, just because, um, yeah, I think it's always it will to the end of time be debated, you know, about squats and speed and all that stuff. It's like every time it's I'm just an observer. I don't try to get on social media much at all, but it's always interesting to see people like people have been posting like here's all these people who ran these great times of track and football and here's their squats and whether those were deep squats or half squats we especially for the track guys we really don't know but like you know people are always going to be back and forth about this stuff and i think um one of the themes that i know i always get at tfc and and i'm in total agreement with this is you when it comes to speed you have to be really careful about what you're doing in the weight room you don't just want to go you can't just go and throw german volume squats at somebody or even five by five for that matter if they're if they're doing it you know like sit back through the heels vertical shin big chest and expect that they're going to get faster and you may get quite the opposite and so my question is is how did you guys come together on the strength and the the complex training and because for those people out there who aren't familiar with the book for which first off i definitely would recommend purchasing it but it was one where complex training or, or french contrast was in the whole program whereas in the traditional triphasic is more in the peaking and so I wanted you guys to kind of give your inputs on how that um, the formation of the French contrast the whole way through and how you guys put that together. How did that come to be? Well, I think from my from where I saw it was as a high school coach, I don't have access to my kids like Cal does. Um, I'll get a seven week go spring break seven weeks finals and then summer football so i got 14 weeks to get them ready um because god knows what happens in season and you know it's just hard enough just to get them to eat in season and so i don't know i don't want to pound them in the weight room um so i brought it up with cal that maybe we could accelerate it and you know because they're high school kids and they adapt so quickly um that we threw that in there and and it worked really well yeah, I mean, I Joe, I'd always done it that way. I, I wrote Triphasic um, without it, just so people would build a foundation. But that's how I always done it. I've always done it. So, um, and Chris had done it with his kids, as he said, and it, I mean, the results speak, you know, volumes for themselves. And you're just sitting here going, um, I, I think people overanalyze a little bit on what what you know. Uh, you know, in regards to progressions, are are they ready for it? Like, if they can play sports, in my opinion, they they're ready for a lot of things. Because if they can stop and start and change directions, there's a lot that they can do. You know, let, let, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I see people talk about, oh, they're not ready for that or this. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? I'm like, this kid stops on a dime and change directions at 160 pound body weight. Like, there's there's three three hundred pounds of force instantly right there. I, it, it's a little confusing to me because I'm not sure that they, you know, they understand that. And then um, with the with the squat thing and in, in the depth, like uh, I'm going to throw this out there. If you got a, a, a hundred meter runner and he's world class, and you have and, and now I have a I have a TMG machine that that analyzes stiffness qualities of the muscle. 
Joel, if you if you consistently do deep squats, I know that the the pliability or the uh, stiffness of that quad tendon becomes less because you're stretching it so much with the super deep squats. And then when you run down the track, guess what? You've just altered a ton of free energy return that is a quick and explosive contraction. You've altered that now. And I truly believe this is why you you make a world-class athlete slower if you deep back squat them all the way to the ground. Now, I'm not saying you can't during, let's say, they return to training after the world championships and they're building a base and there's nothing doing for a couple months. I'm not saying you can't do it then, but I'm telling you when you get into specific training, you may be altering tissue qualities that they must have to run the fastest times possible. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here nodding my head with you as you're saying that Cal, cause I've, I I've seen it. It's, I mean, it's crazy. Like whether it be in my own training or uh, my athletes and, and one of my favorite quotes, and I think Chris actually put this in my, the the new book i got coming out is um you if you squat too much deep squat too much you start to sprint like you squat <laughs> and uh what was it um the brooks brooks johnson i think it said like the person in that 100 meter dash who uses the least muscle at the end of the race is the one who uh, will, will probably win it like being more elastic yes. using the elastic system better and and um that's i, I think that's awesome that you can use the tm the the, the tensiomyography to like really see what's going on because otherwise i think people just get like emotional like it's just like oh i did it this way i've always been doing it this way this is the best and it's like well here's some raw data and some some things that you can actually see what's going on with the connective tissue well, yeah i mean the the the, the tensiomyograph that i have i mean you know I'll, I'll use this example i have pro athletes come back and we test them and any injury they had, maybe this had some knee pain, whatever, which actually came from the foot after I analyzed them, right? We know this, okay? <laughs> but the problem is, Joel, every prescription they get is to stretch an area above and below it. And, and, and this is no kidding. You might find that the tissue that they prescribe to stretch is actually too pliable. So they're only making the problem worse because the tissue. So that's the thing you have to test and figure out. If that tissues what it should be, and you might be pushing it in the wrong direction because I've had tissue that's too tight. I've had tissue that's too pliable. And that's the reason there's, there's issues there. And that's the problem. I think getting in, when you get into the medical aspect or, or just the common knowledge, everyone always says, oh, they need to work on their flexibility or they need, uh, it, it needs to stretch more. I mean, how many times you go into a training room and you see everyone up on the table getting stretched by the by the trainer, they forget that it can be too much. It can be too much. And and then you're in trouble because then that muscle can't do its job when you have to co-contract, uh, when things are happening really fast. And Cal and I talked about this before that that's probably a reason, a good reason for a lot of injury is the muscle doesn't have time to co-contract with the other muscles to project, to protect that joint for that six one hundredths of a second. Yeah, uh, I think I, I talked to an orthopod and he, they was actually starting to realize that hamstring tears, hamstring pulls, a lot of these things are because the muscle couldn't absorb that force, withstand it realistically, under a bad co-contraction. Now, where, where do bad co-contractions from? come from? It can come from bad training. It can come from a night of drinking, right? And they're fatigued and the nervous system 
you know, I, I mean, you may be a, a soccer strength coach and you got a guys that go out and the next day you have over the year where after the night of drinking, you've had two ACLs. That's not your fault. They're probably tired and they, they get a bad coat contraction because the nervous system's fatigued reaction times poor. And this is why you got the ACLs. It, it, it you know, you can't take that blame on yourself because there's a lot of variables, but I think they'll all cycle back to a bad co-contraction is really the dysfunction that's going on. And a lot of these injuries are that contraction. And then yeah. the training causes that too. Powerlifting training, right? Chris and I both agree that, you know, you, you just strain, strain, strain. And when we say strain, you're just causing that nervous system to just drive that straining home. And what happens it's a bad co-contraction for running. It may not be for lifting lots of weight, you know? I mean, am I right, Chris? Yeah, I agree completely. Um, you know, and people forget that up and down the chain that somewhere some of that energy has to be dissipated. And so if you've got someone's foot that's not working properly, uh, I think someone came out with research that the foot dissipates about 30% of the energy that's coming into the body so you can actually deal with it. But if you've got a foot that's not working properly or even jam someone into two smaller shoes, that extra energy goes up and down the chain and somewhere it's going to push something out of place where it has to absorb more. So it could be in the hip, but if something happens fast and you've got to protect that hip, that knee's going to go or the ankle's going to go. Um, so there, there's a lot of things that go into it. It's not as simple as can I do a Nordic hamstring exercise and that's going to stop my hamstring pull. Uh, there, it happens too fast for that kind of stuff to have as much impact as we would like. Joel, uh, Chris brought this to my attention. We have a few articles, and uh, when that foot strikes the ground, I mean, it's absorbing like vibrations of of what the ground is, right? And you're sitting here, you're going, um, it, like, like I use this example: if, if somebody's running on concrete and then they start to run on grass. The first few steps, they change their gait as they cross, right? That's that body. I mean, these came from the articles Chris sent me. Like, that's that body reorganizing all kinds of stuff so that it, it knows it's on a different surface and the forces are different, right? I mean, that's how fast this thing works. And great athletes in a few steps are probably resynchronized and ready to roll on the new surface, right? Um, especially if they're imagine if they were running blindfold, that should be a good, that'd be a good functional experiment, Chris, to, to have an athlete run blindfold on one surface and run right off onto another one and see what happens. And watch what happens. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Bet, I bet they that. would trip. You know <laughs> what? My my son will do it for twenty bucks. He'll do anything. Okay. Yeah, maybe oh. maybe a TFC. <laughs> it's lined it up. There are different TFC uh, attendees. A little experiment on the fly. I like. I want to right. do that now. I'm I'm thinking about it. Like I'll do it myself. Well, I don't care. But. <laughs> I mean, and then if the contraction's poor, that co-contraction of the foot muscles, like, look, guys, we we wouldn't have hip, back problems, knee problems if we ran on air, <laughs> right? So the only, so, so then the only reasonable thing left is the foot's the problem, in the majority of cases. And this is no kidding. And look, I I have my athletes in boots, and that and that's where we can talk with Chris a lot. Is that hey, Chris? Chris has great running athletes. My athletes are, are bad runners because of the skating skill that they, they have to do. But then the boots that they're in ruin their feet. And then my kids with the worst feet, Joel, let, let's think about this. My kids with the worst feet, guess what happens? If their foot can't stabilize, the, the body's going to stabilize. It goes to the knee. Knee's not a stabilizer. It goes to the hip. And guess what their hips always did? Those kids' hips were the ones that were always giving them problems rotating in and out. And the Cairo has to fix them all the time. 
And then you fix the kid's feet and guess what? The hips get better. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with that stuff. It's it's actually super timely that you guys brought that up. The, the episode that will be released right before you guys is one I just did with Emily Splickle, uh, podiatrist and, and, and foot specialist. And we were just talking um, she was filling me in with just how the, the vibration of how the foot interacts with the ground and think of like a gymnast down the runway and how they have to pick up on that springboard or that springy mat. They have to pick up every vibration. And if you're out of tune, well, at that dynamic and you're by that position, you, you know, it could be injurious, but it's the same with every step we take too. If the, the vibration of the foot isn't in sync and then that, yeah, like you said, that force, it's got to get absorbed somewhere. It's going to go somewhere. So and that's like Basco wrote, Cal sent me a paper from Basco from 97 where he wrote a whole thing on the impact of the different surfaces on the foot and it's you know the foot's an amazing thing I we we don't give it a lot of credit but it, it does a lot of stuff and it's got to be able to to change with all that stuff but because we put shoes on you know and, and even Nike sticks those like air mattress gel things in the back it, it, it completely changes what your foot's supposed to do. Here's the funny thing. What happens when you put air in a compartment and you compress it really hard? What does it turn into? Rock hard. So really, you put those air gels in the back of your Nike shoes and you run on those. You crash down with three times your body weight on that heel. That, comp that air, com compartmentized air, gets rock hard. And that's what we're running on. Yeah, otherwise, it'd like, if it really cushioned that well, it would probably blow out the side of the shoe, I guess. Or maybe if you super slow-moded, it would, it would, you'd see the bottom, like, bend out. It would have to, because if the air was really cushioning it, and this is just me speculating, I mean, maybe it does a little bit. I imagine it does a little, maybe, but, yeah. It has to go somewhere. Yeah, it's got to go somewhere. Or rock hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really fascinating. I, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I, I, I want to get into, um, with the foot, you guys are talking about the horizontal stiffness, so I'd love to get into that here. I was going to make one comment, too, and I just, I really love, uh, Cal, how you mentioned just the the, um, the tendon change and the deep squatting, and I think that one of my fascinations, I actually want to compile like an article on this or some source where it's like, I think we tend to look at lifting, weightlifting, and we just look at, um, we just look at muscles and recruitments and all that stuff, but I don't think enough people look at its impact on the tendons and connective tissues uh, for good or bad. I think there's a lot of great stuff that can happen too if you do it right, but I just don't think um, that's not like people's first impression. I mean, it's just because we want to see it, you know, we, we associate weightlifting with what's in the mirror too. Yeah, right? The strength thing is great, but people, you got to get away from it. Speed is what kills in sports, let's be honest. You know what I mean? In most cases. Uh, I don't know. I'd take a super strong, uh, 280 pound, super fast lineman over a 300 pound, super strong, slow one. You know what I mean? So, uh, it's just, yeah, I think our perception is, uh, has been skewed, especially as strength coaches. We've got to stop looking through that lens of, Hey, stronger is always better where there comes a point where strength does, there's no return on performance. And I can give th hundreds of examples. I, over, I mean, all the sports I've coached, all 12, I mean, when, you know, you have one kid put, I mean, I, I got one of my throwers up to, to 440 on the power clean from like 380. And uh, he only improved his shot put like six inches. And, and you're going, how is that possible? But he just couldn't develop any more force with his, with his body type. So he needed to, to work on max speed. And when we switched him over, Boom, he got better. 
You know what I mean? Doing doing speed benches, speed, you know, the, the speed stuff for more plyos. And and that's the, that's the examples. I mean, I have endless amounts of them, but uh, I just think our, our profession has, you know, worried about strength so much that uh, that speed and that. So the point with speed is that the only way to have it is that muscle tendon junction and in, in that how it all works together. And then the qualities of that. I think there is, uh, I know this is comparative biology, but you know, I'm getting ready for TFC, and so I like to always put interesting stuff in. They're looking at kangaroo rats. Do you guys know what a kangaroo rat is? Yeah. I, I could it imagine it from the description. <laughs> it jumps nine times its body height. Nine times. And if you go on YouTube, there's pictures of it kicking the shit out of uh, rattlesnakes. Where the rattlesnake goes to to bite it and it jumps up in the air and it kicks them and explodes out of the way. So they did research on kangaroo rats and uh, it was, they're, they're trying to figure out, well, what about all this muscle stuff? And it, it really didn't have a whole lot of muscle. It was all this, how the whole thing worked together with all the tendons and ligaments. And that's what really made it explode. And where does most of the energy come from in the kangaroo rat? The ankle. Yeah, ankle where they have no muscle. I mean, just little strands of muscle. But yet nine times its body height. That's a good jump. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, that's insanity. Or like, was it like the flea? It's just like a click, a click release of whatever energy. It's just like, it's all, it's gotta be almost entirely connected and it's stored and then locked and loaded. I mean, we're not, you know, obviously we're not built like the animals, but at the same time, it's like, I can, I can tell you when I've been a very muscular, you know, moving person and, and elastic, it's like the difference is, even though we don't have the, the tendon links that they do, it's still substantial. It's, uh, yeah. And, and it's fun to see the difference too, like a kangaroo versus, uh, I don't know what an animal, like a turtle, I guess, is the epitome of a not having long tendons, I guess, <laughs> from what you can see. Well, but again, the best running animals in the world have long tendons, right? Yep. End of story. It's just a free return on energy. Like that's people have to realize that that free energy is a big deal, right? When the foot strikes the ground and everything loads up the chain, the chain, you get a free energy return, and, and you're uh, you're you're golden. I mean, think about that when you go hunting and you get a pheasant or whatever bird you got that runs on the ground. You cut the, and then my stepdad used to do this. He'd cut the feet off and he gives you for Christmas, he'd, you get in your stocking uh, like a pheasant foot or a, a quail foot or something like that. There's no muscle in there. It's all tendon and ligament. And those suckers, they move pretty fast. They run really well. Well, yeah. Joel, the, the thing about that is too, is if, you, if you're running and your joints stay, sag like the hip, because... Um, you don't have joint stiffness and the tendon hasn't been stretched, let's say. And people have to realize that if it sags because you got all this muscle, then what propels you forward is your muscle propels you forward. It takes more muscle. But if you're more elastic and your foot strikes the ground and all these the stiffness um, is stretched and then there's that free return of the, the tissue sending you forward versus your actual muscle, like the tendon, that's a, such a less metabolic cost in running. And, I, you know, I, I referenced this study a number of times. I, I wish I still had it. But when I was writing or creating triphasic or kind of thinking about defending it, but you're sitting here going, I think it was world-class 5K runners. They, the, the only difference in the most elite 5K and the less 5K, and we're talking elite level both, was that at three, at um, 
was it three three K? The hips started undulating in the guys that weren't as good. And that's because their muscles are now propelling them forward for the rest of the race versus the other guys. Their tendons were um, were pulling, pushing them forward. And that's the joint stiffness part of this training aspect. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I think about, um, I-, I can even feel it, uh, like, it, and I have um, uh, two kids, six months and, and two and a half years now. And I can even feel like if my two and a half year old is like pushing against me with her feet, like you can just feel the strength of the ball of the foot of a kid, you know, and it's like, it's like, obviously my kids aren't lifting weights and, uh, you know, but it's like, you can just feel how much strength there is through the fascia through that, that can push itself into that little, little point of the ball of the foot. And yeah, like what you were saying with the animals, Chris, and like, or even like, like animals can push hard too. I used to like, when I had a dog when I was a kid, I used to wrestle around with it and, and that thing was strong, but it, it wasn't like, it's not like it has a ton of muscle. It's just, I mean, it, it's, it certainly has muscle, but it's like the, the way it can and use its fascia and, and it's probably wired too, obviously different than we are, but it's, and think about that word is all fascia end. It all ends in your hands and your feet. That's it. Connect. It all connects there. Yeah. With the, the, like what's uh, the, like the anatomy trains. Yeah. Right. Like a lot of it ends yeah. though. It ends through, through that. So all that has to connect and, and try and drive everything to those distal areas, the hands and feet. It's interesting. A lot of a lot of training systems um, that I've kind of been exposed to recently. Um, I know David Weck with Weck Method, uh, but and also um, uh, Gary Marinovich, uh, Marv Marinovich's system. I, I trained with Gary a little bit, and they're all about the hands and the feet, like like flicking the hands with bench press throws, flicking the feet, like everything, run, and training the the proper reception of the hands and the feet. It, it the more I, I've I've learned from a lot of these experts, the more I see that that being a huge point of emphasis. And the feet are obviously important as well, like critically important, like we're all talking about. But I think the hands do get a little bit of neglect in, and I think that's a, a really uh, looking at the fascial system. What you said, I think that's a really important concept. Yeah, yeah, especially with throwing, especially with the hands, right? The, um, not many people. I, I don't. I don't think that's been studied too much. I mean, I talked to Zatorsky, Zatorsky out of Penn State a number of years ago, and just how the fingers flick the ball at the end for a pitcher or in a shot putter. Like, well, let's think about this. Uh, I use this analogy all the time as if a shot putter taped up his wrist so that he couldn't flick it. I mean, that shot put goes 20 less feet if mm-hmm. you're talking a world-class shot putter. And, there, and then if he stands there and just holds it and tries to flick it, it only goes like four. And well, the reason for that is the ball's been accelerated. So the 16 pound shot has been accelerated. So it's only a few ounces at the end when he goes to flick it. Right. But I mean, that's, that's the big deal is that, that, that little snap. It's the same thing with the foot. What, what if you don't um, have that, that snap at the end, that's important. And Joel, to be honest with you and what Chris and I will be coming out with, and it's, it's really all Chris's stuff is like, I know people spend like hours training the foot appears in some of these other systems, but I, am I safe to say with a hundred seconds a, a week, Chris, that, that people could fix a lot of their foot issues with, with that performance is basically what you came up with. Yeah. That's what, uh, that's what Cal and I've been working on is this, uh, you know, the basis is just getting the isometric strength down first. Um, and what Cal and I both saw with our athletes is, if you well it was everything else if you don't have the isometric strength it's just not going to work very well 
And so we have some different foot positions that you go into uh, that you hold isometrically with your body weight and then you progress with some weight um, to try and make sure that we have that, that all ironed out. So when you go to press, it doesn't give. Yeah, that's uh, that isometric strength. I, it's something I started thinking about a couple of years ago, and it's just like, it's definitely what I think a piece that the, and I'm sure, you know, it's been around for a really long time, um, but I think it's coming to the limelight a little more. Some of the stuff that you're doing, Chris, I know some of the stuff Alex Natera is doing. Um, I think that it's, especially training something like the foot too. Like it's, it's hard to just, I mean, calf raises are cool, but it's, it's, you could be a lot more specific with isometrics and you can also probably get more of that. Like, I guess you call it like that impulse strength, right? Like that, that impulse at the right angle versus yeah. just kind of moving through the whole thing. And the thing is when you, you know, you go to the gym and you watch people do their calf raises or whatever foot stuff they're doing, most of the time they're doing it wrong because their foot placement's all off and they're actually displacing all the weight to the outside where they're actually learning to drive off the outside of their foot and they never learn to come through to their big toe. Um, and so we try to deal with that and then we change positions. So you're hitting all the different possibilities of what your ankle can be doing. Cause you watch people do their, their calf strength stuff. They do calf raises with straight legs and how often in sport are you, are your legs completely locked out with all that weight on you and you lift up on your toe. Usually when you're coming off the ground, uh, most of your weight has been displaced forward or up and it's just kind of a finisher, but yet it's the guiding thing that guides where you're actually pushing to. Yeah. The leg bend. I do. Uh, you know, it's funny. Like, uh, like two years ago, I, I, if you showed me a standing calf or, or seated calf raise machine, sorry, I would have just like been like, Oh, who uses that? I remember my, one of the, um, the other high jumpers when I was competing, uh, back like 15 years ago, I was like, Oh, I really like the seated calf raise machine. I was like, what does that have to do with high jumping? You're you're, and it doesn't have much to do with high jumping because your, your leg is a little more rigid, but like there's some acceleration angles where you could make an argument. I mean, it's obviously not, it's not as specific of a muscle contraction, but just from a raw general perspective, because I, I used to just think soleus and slow twitch, but I've definitely been looking at angles a lot more in the last few years and how that does play an impact. Well, angles certainly play an impact on because you have all the tendons, ligaments, and muscles that pull over all those joints, which completely changes the length of everything depending on how it's bent. Then you start getting the angular velocities and things like that, something that's completely left out of the weight room. But yet, all movement deals with angular velocities. Oh, yeah, completely. Uh, before, um, I, before, I kind of want to close out this question on the, the French contrast work because we didn't get into it a ton. I think most people kind of get the basic idea of French contrast work and, and what it is and what it entails. Um, when you guys kind of came together on that, though, one of the things I guess I was thinking about was like uh, so selecting um, plyometric or speed exercises to put in there. And then so that's one. And then two, like range of motion, like you talked about, Cal, would it be? like practice where you could start it out with a few blocks of, of full range and then go to partials or what are some, um, what are some, some thoughts on those two areas? Um, I think, I, I think we pick the exercises for what everyone would have in their weight room or what a traditional weight one would have. And that kind of guided why we picked the exercises that we did. Um, I mean, not every, people don't have what I have in my basement, and Cal's got the most incredible place in the world right now, literally. Uh, so everyone's not going to have that. So we picked what we thought everyone would have in a traditional high school weight room. Yeah. Uh, you know, the big thing that 
I think I need to emphasize with a lot of people is that like, there's no, to me, there's no secret exercise, right? But the contrast and, and the French contrast, and then um, I assume you know what the potentiation clusters I do. I mean, I got free articles on them, Joel. Yeah, I'll put in the show notes yeah. for people who don't. Yeah, I mean, so so the thing is, is like, there's like the concept is what's, it's the concept of the exercise. It's not the exercise, it's the concept, it's the theory, it's the method that I feel is best. You can replace any of those methods with any particular plyometric or weight and you'll get some results. And I, I mean, I get emails every day, again, people saying, hey, thanks for your French contrast. I'm like, look, I'm German. It was Giles Cometti. Actually, <laughs> I, I, actually I, I don't, it wasn't, I, I think Giles was the one that wrote about it, but remember Warner Gunther's coach? I think he was the one that came up with it. So I have to c correct myself there. But, but if, if anybody who ever wants to look up Warner Gunther and watch those videos on YouTube. Training, that guy's a freak. Oh, boy. Well, he was a world record holder in a shot put, right? For a little bit. Yeah, I think for a little was. bit, yeah. Yeah, for a number of years. <laughs> yeah, it's so, all running hurdles in that video, too. It's crazy. Like, for a 300-pound guy, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah he's 6'5", 300. Yeah, he was three hundred. He I, looks like he's two forty. Yeah, and so, he was three hundred. Man, um, I you know what too, Chris? He was only, I think it's sixty percent fast twitch fiber or fifty or forty. Might have been forty. Yeah, I think it was like it was. He was naturally forty, but the training that they did like hypertrophy is fast twitch. Um, to and, the point where it was yeah, it was the volume became like eighty percent, wasn't it? Yeah, and his his brother, I guess, was like more fast twitch by nature than he was, but because of the training, he was able to increase that area. Um, yeah, yeah, to that point. Yeah, they were twins, I think, and he was like a computer engineer or something like that. So, it's some desk job. It's crazy. It was wow. nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So you guys had you guys had touched on this. I actually like to get into this because this this is something that I'm. I'm interested in, in the sense of, uh, you know, we have, and, and in triphasic training, obviously, um, there's, there's tempos that are very specific to actions in sport. I, I, I think about sometimes like, well, what if we tried to just take training down to its most, most bare elements? Like if we could just pick only a couple things. Um, and one of the, two of the things that I'm very interested in are, is isometric repetition and then oscillating or reactive work. Um, and what's your take what's you guys' take I, I mean my question i guess this is kind of a maybe just amusing but could you build a program an, entirely out of that um if you had to and if so like or, or what would it look like or what what pieces of those do you guys feel really feel are essential and important so kelly you want to talk about the isolatory isometrics because it's the program that we've put together again we're slow because we've got eight million things going on but uh, the oscillatory isometrics are a large portion of of the program, and, and they're all it's all Cal's stuff that he created. Uh, so. Well, I mean, I I, I th yeah. So the oscillatory, um, Joel, the way I would organize obviously the isometrics first for strength, but then even the oscillatories. And let's say you just take an oscillatory in deep position. So for people listening, you could take a bench press and go in a two or three inch range of motion at your chest. Um, with high speed, you could do any volume or any intensity really with that. Um, 
I think you could build a complete program as long as the athletes also performing their sport. And the reason I see the, the true value of, of the oscillatories is really, Joel, it's very specific stress. So I tell people, let's say you're going to do 80% on bench press. You're going to go full range of motion. You get five or six reps, let's be honest. Now, but your weakest part of your bench press is right at your chest. Well, if I do oscillatories at 80%, I found my athletes could get 12 to 15 reps at that weakest position, going oscillatories up and down small range of motion, where that's actually more work in the spot that you're weakest at. Now you can, you know, versus the other way, doing full range, you can only get five reps, let's say. So I almost triple the amount of volume in a very specific area, which is my weakest, getting all that work done. And you could do it with any load. I do it with small, with small loads. And now what I'm doing is uh, that I came up with, and we'll, we'll put it in our speed manual that Chris and I is going to complete, but you're going, hey, I, I just put one pound ankle weights on my athletes Joel and put their put their legs while they're laying prone to do let's say hamstring kicks on on bands and I put the band in between um and these are on my YouTube channel but I put their feet in between the two two really stiff bands um that spread across the rack and Joel the speed at which they moved and the EMG showed that the muscle contraction was the the most they could possibly get and I could send you a video for your listeners if they want to see it um, I'll send you a video right after this, Joel. But it's crazy. At one pound on your ankles, the starting and stopping at a high speed range of motion doing oscillatory stuff, it, people say, well, that doesn't really work anything. It was the highest level of muscle activation I was able to see in, in any of the exercises that I do. It, it was crazy. I I, uh, I was actually going to ask you, and maybe this could go, you know, similar similar to the full partial type idea. And uh, someone actually asked me this when uh, I did my last Q and A, and and I didn't answer it because, to be honest, I I kind of saved it to go to the horse's mouth, right? Like, but I, with the oscillatories, I know that's in the been in the peaking part of your programs. But uh, like you were just saying, like you can use it to bring up weak points. So is that something that you would utilize like earlier in the year too, if you saw the need for it, like? is i mean i guess it's for any for anybody just to go implement that to learn to be selective it certainly is an art form right you really have to learn when and how but um well yeah i i mean but but you know i i don't think it can hurt because look you you know where your weak point is in most cases i i mean usually it's at the bottom of a, a movement or a top movement but i i think what we'll do is you know um, just play around with it. it. They're more intense. If you look at your heart rate, even with simple, like you do a full range of motion for 10 seconds, or you do oscillatories for 10 seconds in the weak position, it's way more intense. So if people just want to get a harder workout, I think it's something that they can do. Yeah. I think about, I think about like the anecdotes in triphasic training where, you know, people will do like the, the, the is it ASFM. I, I'm a little dyslexic with the two in the middle, but the stuff that's as fast as possible or oscillatory and, and the anecdotes of that improving people's wonder at max where it's like you and anytime I feel like anytime you can improve a one RM without actually straining all the time and taking it to the house like that's money and that I think it was that probably that formed um, I really got into trying to use like just speed basically oscillating half squats to try to bring up people's one RM and a lot of jump programs I would write and I found it very effective yeah. like I, I it well, became something that I really liked. Right, Joel. And, and what people have to realize is it worked well for me because my kids 
are usually reactive type kids, most of them, right? But if you take a power lifter yeah. that's a slow grinder, it probably won't work. And he'd be like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> but look, buddy, you can't throw a shot put 66 feet. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can barely walk normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, he's, and not that you're not strong, but you just <laughs> you look like a gorilla. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm talking about I had six foot, you know, four athletes that could throw a shot 65 feet who could do a 360 slam dunk. Those things work very well for those types of people. Yeah, they're they're know? athletic, and that's the thing. Yeah, they're athletic, and it wasn't going to like stress them out too much. Like they're they're capable no. of doing it. Yes, of course, and you know, and that's that's who Chris gets to work with. Obviously, that's who I get to work with, and you get to work with, and that's that's what. I mean, bottom line, even though I'm, I'm a, maybe more of a strength guy, but speed's coveted. I mean, that's that's the quality that is is gold. Cool. Um, and yeah, in terms of, um, so we were talking about this a little bit before and Hank, uh, you know, ta- told us a little bit about this and the last time he was on the show, but, um, Exogen, Lila, like weighted, the little weighted fusiforms, they look like little weighted triangles. Um, yeah. I- I've been meaning to get, I mean, I keep hearing so many good things I need to get, I just need to get a pair of shorts and start running them. But, um, what, how have you guys been using that? What do you think about that stuff? So start with the sleeves, the calf sleeves. Um, actually I'm doing about ready to start research with, uh, John Cronin and Aaron Fesser. He's from Auckland and she's from Arizona state. And we're doing research with the wearables and to see the improvement in a 30 meter dash or a 30 meter block start or acceleration. Um, there, so I kind of got the idea from Hank and then I called exogen and uh you know they started telling me stuff so i bought a whole suit the only thing i didn't buy were calves i bought everything else because i thought well calves were you know who needs calves stuff i'd I'd rather (laughs) wear the pants but what i didn't understand was the whole concept the whole physics of the thing where you're talking about some rotational inertia where it's going to take a lot more energy to move that weight if it's further away from your mass so with cal doing the the band kicks with the one pound weight it's actually a really stressful exercise because that weight is so far away and that's what you're moving um so i've done a lot with them um i've had some really good i did it with the girls lacrosse team this summer and we had some pretty ridiculous results uh and then I told Cal, I was telling Cal about it, and he goes, oh, what are you going to do now? Because it got cold, and I lost my space because basketball started. And I goes, well, we're going to go in the weightlifting. And he goes, well, there goes all the gains you made by going in the weight room. I was like, shit, I know he's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've used them as, uh, as a running aid. You know, So you're training the rotational inertia, that you're training the angular velocities of the sprint. Um, but I've also used them for form correcting, and which really kind of blew me away was you put weights in different places, your body, it's an automatic uh, change that your body has to adjust to. So I'll give you an example. One of the, the common things that you see with people doing any kind of high knee action or hip work is they'll bob forward. So in order for them to think that they're going to lift their knee up, they're going to get that forward bob. I call it a kebab crane. <laughs> 
And so what I did was I put the weights over someone's shoulder so the teardrop was hanging forward and the body adjusted itself because it felt that, and it's only 200 grams, 200, so 400 grams altogether, uh, the body adjusted itself to stand straight up. So all of a sudden I lost, the, the athletes got rid of that bob, which means their spine can co-contract much better and they have a much clearer signal going down the chain, which will allow them to run faster. Um, I had a kid who rotated too much, so I put two 200-gram things on one side, and so now the body thought it was going to over-rotate too much, so it held the body in place. We took the vest off, and it stuck. So we used it to train, and we've been using it to correct little things in form that I, I want to get rid of. I like it. I like, um, see, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, oh, oh. Uh, I love that it like it's stuck. Like I think that's all with all the training aids, right? Like that's that's the magic. Did it whether training or therapy? That's the or, magic. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think with what's different about these is like back in the '90s, they had the Kolka thigh trainer. Remember those? And you put the two pound weights in the sleeve on your thigh, and you tied it to your thigh. And those you are the Don run. Beebe ones, right? Like, yeah, the Don Beebe. Oh yeah, ones. oh yeah. I, I, think... I had that's that was, that was my jam. <laughs> I think the difference is when you feel something coming off your body, you decelerate. Just like with a bench press or a squat, you've got to decelerate that bar at the end or else it's going to come <gasps> and you're going to die. With these weights, they stick so tight that it's more of an internal movement or an internal recruitment. So an external recruitment is I'm pressing against something. This feels so tight to your body that it feels like it's part of your body. So it changes from a, a intramuscular to an intramuscular uh, recruitment, which is really what happens when we run. I mean, the, the traditional purpose for lifting weights is to learn how to produce force against the ground. But you know, we all know that doesn't happen very well. But if you, you're waiting down a limb and you've got to move that limb, and it's just enough where you don't change your, your limb speed. I mean, I think less than 10%, um, it's going to stick. And that's what you're actually doing. And I think that's what Hank was doing with his girl. Is the, And that's why he liked one of the reasons why he liked them so much. Yeah, I I, um, I was thinking about like the, the casting or like the, the putting the weights on like the foot or the ankle as the leg is the hamstrings trying to stop the... Um, the swinging of the shin and how much force that is as it is on the hamstring and like I mean if you don't overload it like the the hamstring strength that you could get out of that would probably be pretty substantial I know like <laughs> you know like it, it, most like the good the good sprinters the sprinters have the super strong hamstrings can usually do the Nordic hamstrings pretty well um, like and it's almost like just the ability to recruit hamstrings in that manner and get them strong it almost seems like that's what makes you able to do a Nordic hamstring more than actually doing them all the time. Just cause I don't know. It's just, it's just something that's, that's more constant, constantly there. Um, constant high, high, um, constant high force, uh, rapidly to the hamstring. And, uh, that was interesting. I also was going to say too, those Don BBs. Yeah. Those things would shake all over the place. And that did cause kind of a weird vibration, I guess you could say. And then like, sometimes the weights would fly out on the fly. I don't know. Yeah. The, the Lila, um, I best their Velcros, but they uh well as cal will tell you when it's it's like putting on like a spider-man suit i mean it's tight and those weights go on and the velcro is the stickiest velcro i've ever seen in my life like i have them all over my floor in my basement 
And if you accidentally step on them with your socks, it's going to be a two-minute ordeal to get the Velcro <laughs> weight off of the bottom of your foot. Dead. Uh, yeah. So, but we've done that. Um, we've sprinted with them on the ankles, and it's uh, it's a three-day affair before your hamstrings get back. It's really taxing on the hamstrings. Yeah, I imagine you really have to like very, very slowly. I don't know how much those things weigh, but I imagine you'd really have to um, start slowly with that um, that integration. But it definitely lets you know how much how important your hamstrings are for that specific. Uh, movement or like um yeah. or like you know like if an athlete dan john had a good anecdote it was like you know an athlete is doing snatches and the athlete's like well what muscle does this work and he's like well do it a hundred times and then tell me tomorrow <laughs> and uh so it's kind of like the similar vibe like you're gonna find how your muscles are working in sprinting uh more so than probably just doing the same thing you've done over and over again your whole life yeah absolutely um and you can change the, the the equation. You know, you move the weights closer to your, you know, more proximal. It's not going to be the same impact as if you move them more, you know, down your ankle, uh, distally. Uh, it, it, it you can really feel the difference uh, just by moving the 200 gram weight from underneath your knee to down below your calf. And it's pretty dramatic. Um, well, hey, cool. Well, hey, before we uh, before we run out of time, do you guys uh, so what do you guys have coming up on the horizon? You mentioned your speed books coming out. Um, you guys also have RPR going on. Uh, what are what are some things that you guys got? Um, and uh, share yeah, share with me a little bit about that. RPR. Um, well, I'll be all over the country in January and February. So if anyone wants to come take RPR with me, I'll be in everywhere. I'm gone every weekend. Uh, but we're gonna have RPR online here, hopefully the next month or two uh and it's actually what do we think there's going to be 12 hours of video with that cal yeah, isn't that what we think well you know I, I think uh might add it just because I'm, I'm i'm probably a little heavier than everybody so the video slows down they said when, <laughs> when i'm in the picture but uh yeah but that I mean, yeah somewhere in that range so uh, so that for all the people that couldn't make it out to stuff, uh, that'll be available to you. Um, and so it is a clinic that the three of us taught together in Columbus. And then there's a whole bunch of side things, uh, you know, tips and all that different stuff that will that will be in that as well. So that'll be really exciting for us to get out. Oh, awesome, guys. Yeah. It'll be great. So. All right. Well, cool. Well, hey, um, man, it was it was awesome chatting, and uh, you know this whole this whole Skype thing. It's almost like uh, it's almost like being back uh, back all together at TFC back like three four years ago, whenever that was. So, I feel like that's the last, literally the last time we were probably all together in the same place. So, uh, man, yeah. I, I really appreciate you guys coming on. It's great talking. Yeah, thanks, Joel. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. All right, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Hey, when you get two rock stars on the same mic, it's always going to be great. And I love that episode. I'm sure you liked it too. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate. Head over to iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and a review. I would really appreciate it. Uh, don't forget to visit our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. Uh, they have an awesome blog, and they've been a longtime supporter of this show. They're doing great things. So if you have any sports tech that you're looking for, Head over to Simply Faster. We will see you guys 
next week with Coach Pat Trainer.